Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. series God is one and uh, with that being said again there will be things that I say here this evening that anybody sitting here will be able to pick up up on but you will have a better appreciation for what's said this evening if you've had the other two lessons already under your belt all right and so uh, if something here just doesn't have the clarity that you think it ought to have, it might be because you haven't been here for the other two, and that would be helpful. And so my recommendation to you is to go back on podcasts uh, when they get up and listen uh, to them uh, just from one to two to three. to. And I'm doubtful about I'm getting done next week, okay? I'm just doubtful. Well, let me put it like this. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I just, even just today, I'm telling you, it was a struggle to pare down and just to bring some. I don't think I'm even going to get accomplished what I've foreseen uh, on Sunday, as I said I was going to talk about, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 4, the Bible says here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Of course, Brother Mason, are you up to doing our Hebrew force tonight? All right. Amen. John chapter number one. This will be in conjunction with Deuteronomy six and four. Our basis tonight. John one and verse one and two and verse 14. It's going to be a strong basis for us this evening. The Bible says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14 says and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Tonight, entitling this section of our God is One series this, Eternal God, Begotten Son. Eternal God, Begotten Son. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you here this evening. I'm asking God for a spirit of revelation, God, to fall upon each and every individual in this house. God, give us ears to hear, Lord, minds, God, to understand. Hearts, I pray, God, for the pondering, God, of your word. I pray, O oh Lord, this evening, I pray, God, that you would give me adequate words. Help me, God, to speak with clarity. I pray, O oh Lord, here this evening. God, I pray, Jesus, this unadulterated word of God. Lord, in this word are the words of life. And I pray, oh God, that life could be shared, Lord Jesus, here tonight, God, in this place. And will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. The lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated here this evening. Eternal God, begotten Son. I'll tell you, hopefully, this is my objective, whether it gets completed. My objective here this evening is to talk about the only way that Jesus Christ ever existed before being a babe in Bethlehem's manger was as a thought and never as a physical, fleshly person. The only thing eternal about Jesus Christ 
was the God that indwelt him. But his flesh was begotten. It was born. As a matter of fact, if you will remember from our previous lessons, whenever we talk about, whenever we talk about Jesus Christ, and I'm just putting JC up there, I'm not being derogatory, all right? But whenever we talk about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is basically this. God, not Gad, but God, which is spirit, plus flesh. That's Jesus Christ. God, which is spirit, plus flesh. The Bible tells us again, I'll just share these. They won't be up there, but 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, To wit that God was in Christ. First Timothy 3.16 says that God was manifested in the flesh. And the reason why this is important, again, is because God is spirit. He's invisible. He has not flesh and blood as anything else would have. John 4.24 tells us that God is spirit. But that God manifested himself in flesh as the man Christ Jesus and as we look at this this evening, and I want to preface this again tonight, when we look at the scriptures that we will look at here tonight, we are approaching the scriptures tonight not with a Nicene Creed of 325 A.D. or a Constantinople Council of 381, meaning that there is one God in three persons. We're not approaching this through that type of concept. That's not the lens of our understanding. We are using the Old Testament declarations that we have already looked at in the past two weeks of God being one. That's the lens that we're looking at the scriptures that we are looking at tonight. That's going to give us the understanding that I believe that we need. John 1 and 1. How many knows just John 1 and 1 by heart? Yeah, bless the Lord. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was what? with God and the word was God now not to get wordy but the word word <laughs> the word word in the Greek and just throwing just a little language at you is a logos it's a logos what that means is that word logos in the Greek what it means is something said including the thought that's important I'm gonna write this down just so that it's there before your eyes something said sorry including the thought that's what that means logos or the word something said including the thought Therefore, what that means is this, that in the book of Genesis, where we have count after count, that God said, let there be light. God said, let there be a firmament. God said, whenever God said, let there be light in Genesis 1 and 3, what was said was tied to a thought. We can understand this on a very natural human thing. Before it comes out your mouth, it's entered your head. Those thoughts and ideas that are formulated in your mind, they come out your mouth. So what he said was tied to a thought. But the Bible even goes as far to say, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So meaning a little bit further, Brother Malone, this. Not only what is said is tied to a thought, but what is accomplished 
What is accomplished has its origin or is tied to a thought. The Bible says in Revelations chapter 13 and verse number 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Speaking that him there, it's speaking of the beast. You can see that alluded to earlier in the scripture. It's speaking of the beast. Whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. John writes here in Revelation about a lamb slain from the foundation or the beginning or the origin of the world. Amen. How in the world can this be? And who is the lamb? We know, according to John 1, a couple of verses, verses 29 and 36, we know according to John 1, that as John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan and that Jesus Christ was approaching, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The Lamb that John, amen, is speaking of in John 1, being Jesus Christ, is the same Lamb that John is speaking of in Revelation 13, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, or Jesus Christ slain, from the foundation of the world, the beginning of the world, the origin of the world. But Jesus Christ wasn't slain, though, was he, until Calvary, right? Golgotha, that hill where they crucified our Lord and Savior, he wasn't slain till Calvary. So how in the world was he the lamb or Jesus Christ that was slain from the foundation of the world? Because... The will and the thought of God from the beginning. In the beginning, God. The will and thought of God from the beginning was for him one day to come down and indwell flesh and be known as Jesus Christ to you and I. In the will and the thought and the plan of God from the beginning, he had that plan so he would acquire flesh and thus acquire the blood that was necessary for the remitting or the removal of sins. For nothing in the Old Testament was remitted or sins were remitted without blood. Nothing took place without blood and neither did it in the New Testament. It took the blood, but the blood had to come from a body. Amen. That body was the flesh of Jesus Christ. It was the flesh that God indwelt. So in the thought of God, see, God is in the realm of eternity. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by past, present, and future. He's in the realm of eternity. So in the mind of God, the thought of God, he already seen Jesus born, already seen him die, and already seen him resurrect in the thought and the plan and the mind of God. He's in eternity. He knows no bounds. That's how he can speak to the things are not as though they were because in his eye, they already are. Mm -hmm. He just uses time to unveil what his purpose already is in eternity. Now, those are hard things to grasp a hold of, isn't it? But God's eternal. That's how Jesus could say, having both the humanity side but also the divine side being God how Jesus could say before Abraham was I am and yet those New Testament Jews were kind of overwhelmed there in John 8 because they said you're not even you're not even 50 years old his flesh 
wasn't over 50 years old, but his spirit was the ancient of days. Amen. Amen. And so in the mind of God, the thought of God, amen, all the way back then, already seeing Jesus, amen, being born, being crucified and resurrected. Amen. And so the Bible, according to the word, Jesus, the word, which is the word. We learned that from verse number 14 to John 1. Jesus was with God and was God in the beginning, not as human flesh, but as a thought, as a plan, as a purpose. Amen. What was accomplished on Calvary was tied to a thought before the beginning of the world. Mm -hmm. Amen. And that thought preexisted even, even before time. It existed for all eternity, past, present, and future. Amen. Now, not, not to be concerned about this, there are other things that God had thoughts about and plans about before they ever came into existence. The same language is used of the church in Ephesians 1 and 4. The Bible says, according as he hath chosen us in him. That's the church. Us in him denotes the church. According as he hath chosen us in him before, here's the language again, the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Amen. The church as a grouping of people, of course, did not literally exist before the world was formed. For one thing, there was mankind wasn't in existence even before the, man, the, 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 the world was formed. But the church did exist as a thought and a plan and a purpose in God, the mind of God, before it ever came into existence and a church, quote-unquote, was established on the day of Pentecost or even back in the Old Testament when there was a congregation which is basically a gathering of the people. Amen. Amen. There is a church that was in the thought and plan of God all the way back before, if we could even say that, before the beginning. Amen. So the church then is there. Amen. The, 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 the Jesus Christ as a thought was there. Amen. And to show that Jesus Christ did not in a literal manner exist in the beginning before the worlds were framed as a fleshly person consider this verse of scripture the bible says in second corinthians got a lot of scripture again tonight second corinthians 8 and 9 he says for ye know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he speaking of jesus christ though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich let me look at that again look at it for you know that the grace of the lord jesus christ that though he was rich that rich is speaking of jesus christ but jesus christ was rich let me ask you a question when was jesus christ as a man rich when was jesus christ as a man rich he was born in bethlehem's manger Whenever his parents brought him on the day of his dedication, they brought two turtle, two turtle doves, the Bible says in Luke 2. The correct offering according to Leviticus chapter 12 is that they were to bring a lamb, a lamb for the burnt offering and then a turtle dove for the sin offering. But if they were not rich enough to bring a lamb, 
The Bible tells us in Leviticus 12, they could bring two turtle doves. One turtle dove for a whole burnt offering and one turtle dove for the sin offering. And so here comes Mary and Joseph because of their estate and socioeconomic status. They couldn't bring a lamb, so what do they bring? Two turtle doves because they are poor. Jesus is being brought into a poor family. Just as a real quick side note, what Mary didn't know, she had a lamb with her all alone. Hallelujah. Amen. So, so here they are. They're poor. The Bible says Jesus himself testified and said the foxes have their holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but I have not where to lay my head. For that fact matter, when the man died, he even had to borrow a tomb to put his carcass in. He was a poor man. Hallelujah. He was poor on his mama's side, but he was rich on his daddy's side. The divine spirit of God that indwelt him, as Psalm says, he owned a cattle on a thousand hills. That man, Jesus Christ, was God in flesh. That's how the apostle said that Jesus Christ, which was rich, became poor. As a man, he was poor, but as the divine spirit, he was rich with unfathomable riches. Bible says in Philippians 4 19 but my God some people like this shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ you know what it said it said God is rich and the way that he's going to make his riches available to you is by the man Christ Jesus uh-huh. Someone say amen. Now, most people, I'm going to erase this. Most people will agree that when we get to verse 14, and it speaks of the word, and the word that is spoken of in John 1 and 1, that the word spoken of is Jesus Christ. Some have difficulty with reconciling how Jesus Christ could be with God in the beginning. But we have just gave some explanation to you here this evening that he can dwell with God in the beginning as being the thought or the word as it's described in Scripture, the logos, what's being said along with the thought, the thought and the plan of God. But let's just approach it. If that isn't sufficient, let's approach it just from a little different little different angle. Amen. The Bible says back in John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with. Right? Word was with God. The word with is the Greek word. Just go put that for Greek. Pros. Again, just throwing just a little language at you. It won't hurt anybody. It's the Greek word pros. It means toward or facing. Some would say, some would say, it means a whole lot more than that. That's just the definition that many just go to. All right. It means toward or facing. Some would say then that there must be two some things or two some ones in order for them to be facing 
each other or toward each other. Now, now toward and facing is just a smidget of what the word pros can mean. You find that over and over in Scripture. Many times context dictates what the proper use is of the word. Now, remember, people who wrote our English Bibles, people that even wrote King James Version Bibles back in, what, 1611, 1612, whatever it was, are still largely a group of people that is being influenced by a 325, 381 dogma and was looking through a lens rather than the Old Testament to give the interpretation. All right? The word pros has another meaning, which means this, pertaining to. Pertaining to. Pertaining to. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God or pertaining to God. Amen. We see the word pros in the Greek. It's used like this, not just, let me say emphatically, not just like here in John 1 and 1, but in other places of Scripture. In other places used, let me just go there for a reference. Romans 15 and verse 17, the apostle Paul is speaking. He says, I have therefore whereof... I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to. That's the Greek word pros, pertain to God. Let's look at another scripture where pros is used to mean, or it's been interpreted at least in our English Bibles, as pertain to. We see its usage in Hebrews as well. Hebrews chapter number 5 and verse number 1. It's talking about here the high priest row. The Bible says in Hebrews 5 and 1, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to, there's pros again, that Greek word, God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Just real quickly, if you'd go to verse number 5 of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 5, you'll find out that Jesus Christ was made that high priest. That was with God or pertaining to God. And he's taken from where? He has to come from among men. From among men. He has to have a humanity to him. Amen. So the word that was with God was with God not in the sense of being spatially with God as another person with God. But as that word was pertaining to God. Yes, it was because it was the thought, the plan, and the purpose of God. It's hard to separate a person from their thought. Let me say it like this. It's impossible to separate a person from their thought. Uh-huh. He was, he was with God, or he was, if you will, pertaining to God. Is everyone okay? Hmm? All mine's clear? No, they're all muddy, Brother McGee. Now, a common thing that is spoken of in our world today, and I touched on this probably in some previous lessons, but let's just dig just a little deeper. The Bible, not the Bible, but society today talks about an eternal son. An eternal son. And what they're trying to get at is this. Is that... That flesh of Jesus Christ was in the beginning before the worlds were framed and it came known unto us when it was born in a manger and it will forever be the eternal son 
If there is, and there's a big if, okay? I'm just postulating. If there is an eternal son in John 1, and just to let you know, there's nowhere in the Bible it speaks of an eternal son, speaks of an eternal spirit, speaks of an eternal God. Never is it spoken in Scripture. You can look from Genesis Revelation, try me, and you will not find eternal son. But if there is an eternal son in John 1, that's what was being alluded to. And if it's speaking of that eternal son as a person that has flesh back in the very beginning before time with God, then give some consideration to this other verse of Scripture, Proverbs chapter number 8, if that be the case. The Bible says in Proverbs 8, Doth not wisdom cry and understand and put forth her voice? It's speaking of wisdom. As a matter of fact, it's speaking of wisdom as a person. It's given her gender already, her. She standeth in the top of high places by the way in the places of the paths. Look at verse number 22. This is still, this, the, the, the context and what's being spoken of here is wisdom. The Lord possessed me. What's it speaking about? Wisdom. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Before his works of old. It's telling me that wisdom was there in the beginning. Wisdom was before the works of old, the creation of the earth. It says, wisdom says, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. Wisdom is being spoken of here in Proverbs chapter number 8. Wisdom was with God in the beginning. As a matter of fact, wisdom is being spoken of very similarly to the same way that the word was being spoken of in John chapter number 1. Do I follow me? Some say, this is incorrect, but some say that wisdom is a manifestation of Jesus Christ. But that's a little interesting because, again, wisdom is gendered a woman. And Jesus Christ was a man. That creates a little problem. But nevertheless, the language that is used in Proverbs 8 is also used in John number 1. So, if John 1 denotes an eternal son... I guess Proverbs 8 would denote that we have an eternal daughter on our hand too. But the reality of the matter is this. Jesus Christ as a man was in the plan and the will and the purpose of God the moment that he created the world. It just simply portrays that you and I that the plan of there being the son was in the mind of God from the beginning. And what's happening in Scripture, many times in John, Proverbs, and other places of Scripture, it's a common thing that the Hebrews, their way of writing that they did, they oftentimes like to illustrate a thought or even a characteristic of God. They like to illustrate it by giving it human characteristics. Mm -hmm. See, whenever they're speaking in Proverbs, they give it gender and they make wisdom stand up and live. That was a common practice in Hebrew language. What we call it today in our English language, we talk about personifying something. Taking something like a blade of grass and talking about it as though it was a person. Mm -hmm. Personifying something. And so whenever the word or the son in John 1 is personified as being with God in the beginning. Just as wisdom in Proverbs 8 is personified as being in the beginning with God. Were they both there? Yes, thought and plan your wisdom, the inherent wisdom that you have as an individual. It's invisible, can't be seen unless it's acted out. Yeah, it's there with you and it's a part of you. 
just the same as Jesus as the thought and the plan of God was with him and a part of him. Now, verse 14 tells us that the word is everybody doing okay? Huh? Now, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the terminology that much of society uses. The Bible explains this as the begotten son. Bible. Matter of fact, a verse that probably most society knows of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. That had been a real good place to put eternal son. If there was one. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? And so, as I, and I think I real zippity said this in the past couple of weeks. The word begotten denotes a beginning. The word begotten denotes a beginning. It denotes a place of origin, a beginning. Furthermore, it denotes something born. Begotten. So it denotes a beginning. And so any such terminology of eternal son then is incorrect because he's the begotten son, the beginning son, the born son. All right. There is a eternal God. I already told you that there is an eternal spirit. You can find that in your Bible. But again, there is no such thing as a eternal son. He's the only begotten son. And as I said a few weeks ago or last week or whenever, anything that's begotten is not eternal. And anything eternal is not begotten. There is no divine flesh. There is only divine that was housed in flesh. You hear me? There is no divine flesh. No such thing as divine flesh. There's only such a thing as a divine spirit. That's God who manifested himself in flesh. Now, I know what we mean. I know what we mean when we say this. And I, maybe we're get, I'm getting too picky like jot and tittle type stuff here. I know what we mean when we say this. I say it. We say this often. But we say some things kind of like this. You know, uh, God became a man. Well, that's really, the, uh, according to the theology, that's really incorrect. God as spirit didn't become flesh. God was manifested in the flesh. See, God indwelt flesh, and we knew him as Jesus Christ. Whenever God, spirit, sorry, I, I know I shouldn't be erasing all this stuff, plus flesh equals JC. Again, I'm not trying to be derogatory. God didn't become flesh. He manifested himself in flesh. All right? So everybody got that? There's no divine flesh. Just a divine spirit. Whenever God manifested himself in flesh, God remained what he always was, but, but in addition, possessed flesh. Whenever God became whenever says about ready to do it whenever God became man whenever God manifested himself 
as a man, he didn't quit being God. He is still everything that he ever was. That's why you see Jesus Christ as a man sleeping on a boat on one hand as humanity, but getting up and catching the very winds in his fist as divinity because he did not quit being who he was. He was still the creator and the orchestrator of all creation. Amen. Amen. So at Jesus' birth, God indwelt God incarnate, which means in flesh, incarnate, fancy word, just means in flesh, God in flesh. And so in addition to what he always was, he now possessed flesh, human flesh, but that did not mean he ceased from being God. The Bible says in Matthew 1, 23, this is an angel recalling to, to Joseph about the prophecy of Isaiah. And what was that prophecy that was recalled? It was, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted is what? God with us. There you go, JC, God with us. He got with us because he became, he, he came in the form and the fashion of a man. Amen. Jesus Christ is all of God. We looked at this last week in Hebrews 1 and 3, where it talks about he is the express image of the invisible God. We looked at this last week. The express image of the invisible God. If I might literally translate, the exact copy of the hidden and unseen essence of God. Jesus Christ is all of God that you will ever see. Is in the man, Christ, Jesus all right, Jesus Christ is all of God. Amen. But he's not all God because part of him's flesh. Are you understanding what I'm saying? <laughs> he's flesh as well. The Bible says in Romans 1 and 3, just to underscore the fact that there is a nature side of Jesus that is natural, that is fleshly, and one that is divine. Romans 1 and 3, the Bible says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to his, or to the flesh. What's that mean? He had flesh like the seed of David had. He was humanity. He was flesh. His flesh was not divine. It was made of a woman. The Bible tells us that in Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. That flesh was not divine. It was made of a woman. How do you know that, Brother McGee? Because whenever Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter number 3, what did he tell Nicodemus? I think it is in verse 6. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If Jesus Christ, the son of God, was born or made of a woman, then he's flesh. <laughs> Amen. He's flesh. The Bible states this. Furthermore, in Hebrews 2 and verse 14. I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. But I won't hold you 50 minutes, probably like last week. Because I probably still got a few services tucked in my spirit. So I am, off, I am off schedule. I was supposed to end next week. It's not happening. As least as I can see, unless I'm going to go away from come back to it. But we're just in it, and my mind's in it. 
Hebrews 2 and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil. He also, it says, himself likewise took part of the same, or he took the exact same way. He shared. Jesus took part of flesh and blood just like the other children are partakers of flesh and blood. The word same there means this, identical flesh. He took part of the very identical flesh that all the rest of humanity was made of. The Bible even tells us, and he was even tempted in all ways like we were yet without sin. So, well, Brother McGee, it could have been a different, you know, just special. No, no, no. No, 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 no. The Bible interprets itself. 1 Corinthians 15, 39. The Bible talks about there's all kinds of flesh, but there's only one kind of flesh that is of man. Only one kind. So if he became a man, he became only one flesh that there can be of man. Amen. This is not a special divine flesh or a flesh with a little rainbow sparkle and a unicorn at the end. No. This is the same flesh that you and I are made of. And just because Galatians 4, 4 says that God sent forth his son. And just because John 3, 16 says that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That does not mean that he sent a person or a fleshly person from eternity past into the present. It's not that he sent God the son as a second person in the trinity. And again, I want to state again, God the Son, you will never find that in your Bible from Genesis to Revelations. Look at it. You'll never find it. You'll see the Son of God, but never God the Son. Never. Never. So where it says that God sent forth his Son, others would say, well, see, the Son must have preexisted in the flesh in order for God to send him. Christ only preexisted as a thought. And then in Bethlehem, he became the expression, the accomplishment. Someone being sent. That word sent, many times in Scripture, it is the language of commissioning. You commission someone. And if, if you're going to use the same idea that every time God sends somebody, then they preexisted, then go back to John chapter number 1 and verse number 6, where the Bible says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's speaking of John the Baptist. So if every time something is sent from God, it preexisted back in the foundations of the world, then John the Baptist must preexisted all the way back in creation, and we got ourselves an eternal cousin. Amen. No. Sent is, this is God's word, sent is, is commissioning language. Amen. Even the word apostles, we see it over and over again in New Testament scripture. Apostles, the word apostles means this, sent ones. Sent ones. And all 12 of them was not back before the framing of the world. All right? In flesh and blood. It's the language of commissioning. Giving them a commission, a job to do. The Bible says in John 6 and verse 38. John 6, verse 38. Jesus is speaking. And see, in the New Testament... This is where you got, you got to watch things in the New Testament because you'll go back and forth between this father and son language. And all that's denoting is the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. The fleshly portion of him 
and the God spirit portion of him. Everybody gets all tripped up over that. But it all just comes down to what nature we're speaking about, the man Christ Jesus. Because he was God manifested in the flesh. And so when we come to this, you almost see, because you could be tripped up right here, John 6, verse 38. Jesus is speaking and says, for I came down from heaven. Well, I thought God was in heaven. But well, in reality, God's everywhere. Psalms 139, right? Whether shall I go from thy presence or whether shall I flee if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there, right? He said, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool in Isaiah and also in Acts. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. See, the awesome thing about God is that the full essence of everything that God was was in Jesus Christ, but at the same time, Jesus was in God. I did this little explanation before. How is that possible? Just on a very, very easy mind frame. You go out to the ocean, you take yourself a little pail that you've been making sandcastles with, and you pull up some of that ocean in the bucket, and you set it down in the ocean. All the essence of everything that the ocean is by molecule, by testing, is exactly on the inside what is on the outside. But it's inside the bucket, but the bucket is in what's in it. Someone say amen. Amen. And so he says, I came down from heaven, look now, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent him. Now, who sent him? We already looked at that. God sent him. God as father sent him as son. But he says, mine will. But then he talks about the will of him that's him. Now look at this. Because Jesus Christ had the will of his flesh, his humanity side, but was also the will of the spirit that was inside of Jesus, which was his father's will. That's, oh, we could talk about this for a little while. That's the reason why in the Garden of Gethsemane we have the struggling of the two wills of the two nature of Jesus Christ. On one hand, Jesus as a man is saying, let this cup pass from me. But on the other hand, he said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He's speaking from his divinity and then his humanity. There's a, huh? Those of you that receive the Holy Ghost, you've got to struggle between two wills too. Your human flesh will and the will of God, which is God, his, his spirit in you. You got that same struggle. He says, I, I don't do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the father's will, which he have sent me. That of, that of all which he have given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. He's talking about the people. He's talking about the church. He says, here's, here's his will. This is the reason why he sent me. See what he's done? He's commissioned me for a purpose. He's commissioned me for a plan, for a work. So it's not just sending in the mode of something that preexisted and I'm getting it into the world. No. It is commissioning, that commissioning language. Verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus as a man was sent to do the will of God. Jesus as flesh was sent to be obedient to the spirit that was inside him. Again, there was the will of the flesh and the will of the spirit that was going on inside of Jesus Christ. Now, sit if you will, I'll hold you maybe five minutes tops, all right? Because I don't want you to go in overload, start falling asleep, and your hair standing up on the end of your head because I see some of it starting to rise right now. 
Sister Ashley Lawyer had a head start, head start with that bun up there, so, you know, not much further in. <laughs> he was giving me false inclinations to begin with, and I realized it was like that to begin with, so. <laughs> God, some reason, a reason perhaps. The reason why God indwelt that flesh is because where the first Adam failed, where the first Adam failed, he was going to come in humanity and succeed where the first Adam failed. Because Adam was the original son of God. He was. He was the original son of God. Whenever he started having children, I think it is whenever you start looking at Seth, talking about how he was made in Adam's own likeness and image. So Adam was the original son of God. God says, though, I'm going to come down. I'm going to indwell that flesh. That flesh. That flesh. And this, and I, I stated this a week on by, and we may look at this a little bit more. The flesh is that part that is the son of God. It's that part that was born. It's that part that was begotten. It's that part that is the son of God. See, Adam's first, first response and will in the garden was what? You're not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam's attitude is, not thy will, Lord, mine be done. <laughs> chomp, chomp. But then the second Adam, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, says, not my will, but thine. See, he's correcting He's succeeding where the first Adam, the first son of God, failed. And whenever God manifested himself as the only begotten of God or the son of God, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, it tells us that he did it for the purpose of reconciling the world. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Note. Note. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The himself is referring back to God. He is re reconciling the world back to him. But the tool he uses to accomplish it is Jesus Christ. Because where they got separated in the beginning was from God in the beginning. Isaiah 59, I think verse 2 tells us about how our sins and iniquities separate us from God. But because of Jesus Christ, there is one mediator. Between God and men, the man. He mediates, he intercedes to bridge the gap between God and men. Jesus Christ is the tool, but God is trying to reconcile the world back to himself. We'll talk about this maybe next week a whole lot more. But the exact moment, we're still talking about this, you know, this preexistence of Jesus only being a thought or a plan, not being an actual person or actual flesh, okay? How do we know concerning this begotten son? The exact moment when the son was begotten, the Bible seems to relate to us that angels worshipped him. Look at it. Hebrews 1 and verse 5. This is what the scripture says. For unto which he's, there's some questions being posed here. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That never happened. 
God had never looked at one of the angels and said, you're my son today, I begot you. That never happened. Just a, a rhetorical question being asked. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. He had never done that to any of the angels. I'm going to be a father to you, you'll be a son to me. Verse 6. And again, when he, now this is not a question now, we are stating something here. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Now, I know Jesus did not pre-exist because the scripture tells me when the first begotten is brought into the world, the angels will worship him. And the only place that I see where that first occurs is in Luke 2. And the Bible said there are some shepherds that are watching their sheep by night. And Mary has just had a newborn babe. Just as the prophecy of Isaiah said it would be, it would be in the town of Bethlehem. And the Bible says as the shepherds are out there looking over their flocks by night that the angel of the Lord appeared unto them and said, I'm going to tell you that this day born in the city of David is a Savior that's been born. And this shall be a sign. He shall be wrapped in swaddling clothes. And the Bible says, as the angel spoke these words, there was a heavenly host that gathered together with him and began to sing praises. Glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The angels worshiped and praised when the first begotten showed up in Bethlehem's manger. He didn't show up in flesh till then. He was in the thought and the purpose and the plan of God before then, but he was expressed in that moment and the angels took notice just as Hebrews said, and they worshiped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm telling you right now, we need to be, and I'm just feeling the Holy Ghost, we need to be Bible believers. I testify to you as Paul testified to you. This is not some cunningly devised fable as the Bible even alludes to. This is the truth of the word of God. This word is the very word of God that he spoke to men and old that were inspired of the Holy Ghost and they pin words from Genesis to Revelation. You can believe this. You can stand on this. You can build your life on this. You hear me? We have taken scriptures just tonight from Hebrews, Timothy, Corinthians, John, Isaiah, Genesis. You know what they do? They fit just like that. Huh? Some shepherds wrote this book? Huh? Right? Some kings? Some fishermen covering a time frame of over thousands of years and yet their stories interconnect and they never knew each other, most of them. Because there's only one author and he's trying to tell us his story. If you can stand for me, I've almost lied about being 50 minutes. I was really intending on talking a whole lot more about this humanity 
spirit side of Jesus Christ. And so I guess we're going to have to delve in that a little bit more next week. And before it's all said and done, I don't know if I'm going to do I might. I'm thinking about teaching you what the Trinity is so that you know what it's not. Not because I'm endorsing it. It was, it, was, it was something that was progressive over time that came into being. Oh, yeah. It was something that was progressive over time that came into being. This is as old as the ancient of days. Because it's his word, so it existed from him from before there was a beginning. This is the lens I view everything through. Not something that's created about 300 years after this was pinned. So I might, on our last little thing, teach you the Trinity so you know what it is not. And then we might hit some scriptures that you might be able to put in your quiver for some days upcoming. That would be good questions to pose if it is as a good portion of society says it is. All right? Our God is one. Our God is one. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads here this evening. Jesus. God, I love you. And Lord, I want to be. Lord, speak the truth in love. Lord, each service that I come here, speak the truth in love. I want, oh Lord God, to be able to proclaim the truth of your word. And my hopes is that it would be a seed that it's oft times spoken of. And it would find the soil of someone's heart and that it would grow and that it would prosper. I pray, O oh God, scriptures, the Lord, that have even shared this evening, that people would, Lord, take home with them, look at them again, survey them, Lord, for themselves. I pray, O oh Master, today we're thankful, Lord, God, that all the way back in the Old Testament, 3,000 plus scriptures, you're crying out that you are one. And that is to be the lens by which we view our New Testament, Lord Jesus, with as well. I pray, God, that you're able to help us in our daily walk. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be one, Lord, with you. It affects every portion, every division of our life. God, be of your people, let us be a revelation, God. God, go with them, Lord, as they read the word of God, that you would enlighten them, God, to the truth that is in that word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen to the church. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.